Hi everyone, my name's Jacinta and it's my pleasure and privilege to be reading God's Word this morning. Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17 to chapter 3 verse 13 and you can find this on page 1187 of your church Bibles. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told you that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Prash. I'm the senior minister. A very warm welcome. If you're new, visiting, uh, it's great to, great to have you with us. Also, of course, warm welcome to our regulars. We're a bit down in numbers today, which I suspect, knowing the stories of some, there's the, the uh, various viruses that are bugging our, our culture and our society at the moment have taken a number of us out. But it's good to be in the building with you. And if you're at home, you're sick and you're joining us on the live stream, it's good to have you too. Uh, this morning we start, uh, we just spend an introduction into the month of August where we at St Stephen's here think a little bit about our, our, our vision and mission, why we're here essentially, you know, why we think God has put us here uh, and what that means for us as we uh, keep moving forward. So I'm glad that you're here and as you meet in our midweek uh, gap groups, 
during the week, do encourage uh, those who can and are able to be here with us over the coming month as we think through this. This morning's sermon is, I think, in some ways a bit of a, uh, it's the first step um, into this month's thinking, and then our gap group studies will, uh, will kind of reinforce this and build upon this, and there'll be things through the month, uh, ways of getting um, involved in this month of, uh, of uh, reflecting on our, our purpose and place in God's mission. Uh, you can actually look inside the booklet. There's one, one of the notices has a whole list of things, ways that you can get involved in Vision Month this year. Um, so consider them and I hope that we'll, we'll have you as part of the, some of those things at least over the coming month. Before we reflect on this uh, bit of scripture that's been read for us by Jacinta, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts and minds to make us uh, individually and corporately more like the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you would consider is a, uh, a dear, a treasured place in your life. What's a place that comes to mind as you think of a place that's dear, that's treasured in your life? If I was to ask my children, who are quite young at the moment, I think Probably they would describe a place um, where we go on holidays. Um, we go there regularly. We kind of go there because we, we know the setup. Um, but for them, the, it's not about the place. It's not about the, the, the building, the house. It's, of course, the, the shared memories that they have there, right? Mum and dad are both there and relatively present <laughs> and uh, engaged in them. The, uh, it's a time when there's no school, there's no homework, um, there's no pressures to, to do other things. It's, it's, it's a time of little expectation and much joy. That's a place that they would describe as, as dear to them or treasured to them. What would you describe? What places would you consider to be dear to you? The uh, 18th century preacher C.H. Spurgeon said that the local church is the dearest place on earth. He said the local church is the dearest place on earth. I don't know how you respond to that. Maybe you think, oh, that's, that's, um, that's a preacher's flourish. You know? that's, uh, that, 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 though, though I like it, it's, it seems a bit over, overdone. Perhaps you're someone who's had an experience with a local church which is far from positive and you think that is just, that's actually a naive understanding. The local group of Christians gathered together, though, Spurgeon says, is the dearest place on earth. Well, I think Spurgeon is actually, that he's just picking up language and a sentiment towards the church which is found throughout the scriptures. And this morning's passage, we're not working through the book of 1 Thessalonians at the moment, but I chose this passage because I think as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, we really get a sense of his deep love, not just for the church as a concept, but for the very meeting of God's people. God's people, the relationships, the very people who make up the local church. So you see at the start of, our, of the um, reading which Jacinta brought us today, he says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned but being separated from a short time in person, not in thought, out of intense longing, we made every effort to see you. If we wanted to come to you again and again, if we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. 
but Satan blocked our way. Now, see the language that Paul uses here. He orphaned. Uh, it could be we were torn away from you, but I love the use of the word, the translation of this into orphan, because there is something even more, uh, more deep and meaningful about what he's saying here. He says, not being with the Thessalonians, having to be taken away from their gathering, left him feel like was, he was orphaned. Some part of him was torn away, he says, out of intense longing. And he says, again and again, this is not just a passing fancy, but a repeated experience. Paul values, he loves this local church's gathering. He doesn't just love the idea of the church. He says, he makes a point of this. He's, I mean, he's always thinking about them, but he's absent from them in person. And that is what grieves him, actually. It grieves him that he cannot be with them. I mean, when we think sometimes about, oh, we can't be with God's people, we think, oh, that's a shame, but I was thinking about you. But Paul makes the point, I mean, yes, that's important, that's valuable, but there's something about being with God's people that he deeply treasures. He deeply treasures. And you can see that for Paul, he would, he would agree with what Spurgeon says. The local church, this place where God's people meet together, is the dearest thing, and to not be there, to not be there, is, is, a, is a thing that grieves him deeply. But it's not just... It, it's interesting because he then ramps it up, doesn't he? Right at the end, you see, he says, Satan blocked our way. He says, the ability to meet with the, the people of God in Thessalonica, d- 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 derived of him, is not just a, a logistical outcome, not a social outcome, not a relational outcome even, but a, a spiritual, a spiritual impediment. I mean, Paul... Paul is not downplaying the impact of the devil. He understands the devil is a real, powerful force in the world. And he says at this point in time, the devil has blocked him from meeting. Such is his, his sense of the importance and the value, such is the way he treasures meeting with God's people. He says, when I can't do it, Satan blocked it. Now, on one level, Paul's probably thinking about the persecution that forces him to leave Thessalonica. And so can't be with the church there. And we think, oh, persecution, okay, we can see how the devil... But I think generally speaking, actually, he's making a point. When we are unable to meet together, that is a work of the devil. That's a spiritual impediment. You think, oh, okay, of course, the pandemic, not allowed to meet together. That, I can see how that would be, that would be spiritually spiritually impacting but i'm talking about i think every time every time we're unable to be with god's people that is a spiritual impediment that is something to be grieved at a spiritual level there's something spiritually serious to use paul's language and you hear me and you think what really i mean the fact that i had to take the kids to sport last sunday so i couldn't be here or um, the fact that I'm at home sick this week. Really? That's that bad? I had work to do? But I think that, that what that belies, actually, is a very Western understanding of spirituality. Here's what uh, Western spirituality is often considered as individualistic. 
It's privatised. We think of God's dealing with us on an individual basis. We think, God, God is doing a job in my life. I'm on a journey, a spiritual journey with God. I mean, you've probably heard someone describe it like that. And on one level, that's true, of course. But that view, that understanding of spirituality, which is intensely individual and private, is, is a primarily Western mindset to spirituality. I mean, if you go to the East... If you go to Africa, spirituality is very much a communal experience. It is you're understood in, in response to how your family, what your family believes, what your village believes. And so spirituality is never really an individual or a private thing. But because we've grown up in this mindset, for Paul to say, oh, the idea that you can't meet together with God's people, that you don't have a, a group of people who you're intimately connected to, is an act of the devil. That, that rubs against not just maybe our understanding of the Bible, but I think even more deeply, our Western understanding of spirituality. Where we think, I'm doing my own thing with God. Sometimes it involves other people. But it can just be me and God. Now, I guess I want to push against that because I don't think that's the story of the Bible when it comes to this. If you're not aware, the Bible actually is less a book of rules or even wise sayings or, or even directions. Right? It, it's not even a guidebook for how to live particularly. The Bible is actually the great story of God's work in the world. It's an uh, unveiling of how God is working, how he has worked, and, and a promise for how he will work, right? And as we look at that story with the question of how God relates to people, how he thinks of the spiritual encounter, what we see actually is that often it is God and people. So take Genesis. We've just spent eight weeks in the start of the Bible in Genesis uh, 1 to 11, and you think, oh, well, no, isn't that, right? I mean, isn't that just God and individual, Adam and God in the garden? Yes, but no, because actually Adam and God is not good. But Adam and Eve before God is very good. From the outset of the Bible, actually, it's a group of people. Of course, in Genesis 1 to 3, it's a small family, but it grows. It is a group of people gathered before God. When you go to Exodus, which is the, the, the events where the Israelite nation are freed from the, the bondage and slavery under, uh, sorry, un, the Israelites are freed from the bondage and slavery under Egypt, they're freed, what, not just to go and do what they want to do, but to meet at God's mountain to meet with God. A nation. God wants his nation to meet with him. The Old Testament laws. You know, most of the Old Testament laws are communal in nature, especially the laws that have to do with worship. They're, they're communal laws. I mean, most of the Old Testament laws have not... We talk about worship in terms of read your Bible and pray, and of course, that has its place. Jesus encourages us at times to pray by ourselves. But interestingly, Old Testament understanding of worship is very communal. You, you go to the temple to meet with the rest of the nation. You celebrate festivals together. I mean, you, 
There's not real even even the Passover, which is a smaller celebration, is within your household, and you share this within generations. What what's going on in your? This is a completely different way of thinking about spirituality than, as you can, you know, as I said, this Western mindset of spirituality, and, and it continues in through into the New Testament, of course, in in Acts two, great moment where the Holy Spirit is given to God's people. And what is the first thing that arises as a result of the Holy Spirit being given? We're told God's people meet together. The end of Acts chapter 2, there's this little paragraph. After Peter gives his sermon and explains the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the first event that's described by Luke is the people of God meeting together. This is, this is the trajectory of the Bible. Now, you may disagree with it, that you're completely entitled to. But you, you have to understand, the Bible's describing a type of spirituality which is very different to what we might have grown up and accepted here in the West. And, and the reason is, it's not just that God likes people or he's just ordered us to always be with people. The reason that meeting together... Right, is so important that it grieves Paul when he cannot do it. Right, that the local church, this local gathering, is so important, is the very nature of salvation in the Bible. Here's what Peter, the apostle, says in one of his letters to the early church. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is a great passage on the early church, on what the church is. And he says at the start of this, he says, as you come to him, that's Jesus in the context of what he's writing, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, you also, like a living stone, no, he didn't say that actually. He said, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So he says, as you come to Jesus, you're being built into this community. You're being built into a spiritual house. Not you are being just made into a living stone. I want you to imagine you're on the beach, right? And um, you're, you go out for a swim and a, a rip gets hold of you. And pride, your pride subsides after a while because you feel like you're about to die. <laughs> so you put your hand up. You wave, you're one of those guys who ends up on Bondi Rescue. Right? And just as the, wa the water is starting to slosh over your head, and just before you go under, you notice, oh, phew, the lifeguard has seen me. And there he is, he's running out to get his lifeboat. Uh, but you go under. And then before you realise it, this hand comes and grabs you and drags you out of the water and flings you into the lifeboat. And then you, you cough, you splutter, you, you wipe the salt water out of your eyes, you look around, and the boat is filled with other men and women who are also nearly drowned, spluttering, like, like near-drowned wet rats. Now, you can't say, actually, can I have a boat for myself, please? I would rather not be in this boat. No, that's just the way it works. And that's what Peter's saying here, you see. See, in contrast to that Western mindset of spirituality, what the Bible is saying is that God is saving for himself a people. And when he encounters you, and he really does offer to encounter you personally, he encounters you to draw you into this group of people, 
into this spiritual household, into this temple, so to speak, this body of Christ. And so what, God, what Paul is exhibiting is not just a sympathy or a sentimentality to a particular group of people who were nice to him. It is a deep love and treasuring of God's people together. And I guess I'm calling us at the start of this, this month of reflecting on vision to say we need to be people who love this church. Love this church. You know, we, we came up with a vision statement uh, back in August 2020. We said, we long to be a church. People come up with vision statements for the churches all the time. Some of them are, you know, make disciples of Christ. We didn't go with that for one reason, actually, because we want a corporate vision for our church. Because the church matters. God's people together matter. I mean, there's a vision for your, God has a vision for your life too. But in a sense, it can't be separated from this because he loves the church. And he, the church is the focus. And our vision here of being a church that's beautiful and diverse and large, each of those things actually expresses a love for St. Stephen's. I don't mean the building. I don't even mean the historical tradition of St. Stephen's. I mean the people gathered here on a Sunday. It's a love for these people. We want people here to be beautiful. That is to grow to be more like Christ. If you love people, you want that, don't you? We want to be a people who are diverse. That means we have cultures and ethnicities and tribes and nations here because we believe that God loves all tribes and nations. We want to be large because we believe being part of God's church is the great blessing of the gospel and we want that for everyone. In a sense, you could say this is a, a vision that expresses a deep love for the church here in Willoughby. God's people here in Willoughby. But, you know, I don't want you so much to love the vision. I want you to love the church. I want you to love this church, not the idea of church even, not the concept of church or the practice of going to church. I think we need to just love this very church of God that's here, that God has brought together. This is where we've got to start from, with, with any way forward. Just like Paul is grieved when we cannot meet together. Are we grieved about this? Are we grieved about this? Do we grieve the fact that there are people who should be here who aren't here? Do we love the people that we meet with, regardless of who they are? Do we love this church, not for what it might become, but for what it is right now? But I love this church. I think the, the reality is the growing tendency of Western churches, not every church, but Western churches, is people who are disengaged, who um, only buy in and love a certain group of people, people who affirm who they are. But God's call is to love the people he's put here, to love this church of God. Of course, the question is, what does it mean to love the church, doesn't it? I mean, perhaps you're asking yourself, oh, I think I do. I mean, if you asked me that on a, on a survey, I'd probably tick yes. But well, what do you mean? Well, for that, let's just look back at what Paul's saying in the Thessalonians passage because the first 
kind of paragraph is Paul expressing his love for the local church in Thessalonica. So how does he love them? Well, it becomes evident in the next, in the next uh, paragraph, which is the start of the third chapter. He says, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. What does Paul do? He sends Timothy. Now, Paul's a missionary. If you ever met a missionary, one of the things that pretty much universal for all missionaries is their great challenge is loneliness. If you talk to a missionary, the great challenge for a missionary is loneliness. It's the nature of their task that they leave their group of their family, their friends, their, their, their local church, and they go to another country to tell people about Jesus. But what, what they're eventually do, effectively doing is going somewhere to meet people who probably disagree with them or don't know anything that they believe, who don't really know them, and they're trying to get to know them. But the great struggle for most missionaries is they basically feel like they never really fit in culturally or relationally. They're lonely. And this is Paul's experience throughout the New Testament. We get this experience, we get this impression from his letters that in many ways he is alone. I mean, his experience is, is dialed up compared to many missionaries now because he is imprisoned, he's persecuted, he's beaten, he's, he's pursued, he's constantly under threat for his life. He's a man who's genuinely lonely. And in fact, we, we sense that the few things that give him joy in his life are actually people like Timothy, the little group of, of, of followers, uh, followers or workers who go with him on his journey. So Timothy is this person who brings him comfort, who brings him companionship. He's one of the few things that testifies against being alone in his life. But Paul loves the Thessalonians so much that what? He sends Timothy to them. In other words, he gives what's most valuable to him for them. And that is what it looks like to love the church of God. To give what's most valuable. And then, you see, he gives it for a purpose as well. He doesn't just give it so they'll have some friends. He gives it to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. He sends Timothy to strengthen and encourage them. And in case, in case you think, oh, well, you know, that's probably because things have got easier, he says no, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. It's in the midst of his own hardship that he gives what is most valuable to him. In, in the centre of that experience, and yet he gives what is most valuable. You know, we often think, oh, yeah, look, I'm just waiting for things to ease up, hoping the pandemic will kind of taper off and then I'm ready to go again. I'm ready to give. I'm ready to give of myself. But we're always waiting for when, when there'll be a better time to love, a better time to give, to pour out ourselves. I've certainly had this experience. You think, well, we'll just, I'll just wait till the, this whole season of the last two years kind of ends and then we'll be in a better place to give of ourselves, for me to give of myself. But Paul doesn't wait for that. He doesn't wait for everything to work itself out before he expresses love for God's people. If you'd summarise what Paul's doing, he's living a life that impacts God's people eternally. 
And that's what it actually looks like to love God's church, to be willing to live a life now for God's people that impacts them eternally. Are you willing to do that? I think that's what God's calling us to, actually. He's calling us to love the church like that. What is most valuable to you? What is it? I mean, people had the, the kind of the tower of icons. I mean, none of them are really that valuable, so I'm kind of thankful most of the kids put the local church at the top of the list when you're comparing it to McDonald's. What we are forced to compare God's people to are much more existentially important things. Much more. Can we love the local gathering of God's people? We use St. Stephen's as the, as the icon there, but it's not about loving St. Stephen's. That makes it too much of an institutional thing. But what is it that you love which you're unwilling to give up for God's people? For the people that God has put you amongst? Sometimes that can be very insightful, actually. You know, sometimes we learn, actually, from the things we're unwilling to give up, what we really value, what's most important, perhaps what we even worship at times. What does it look like to love this people of God who are here at least to live lives that impact God's people eternally, eternally? And you hear that and... You're all too polite to say this to me, but I'm sure there are people here who think that's just, that's crazy. That's almost like cultish what you're asking me to do here. Why would you do that? And some of you have experienced, maybe you're at home and you're watching this, you've never actually been to a church or you used to go to a church, but you had a terrible experience, a terrible experience of the local church. And if that's you, I'm really sorry. I mean, I hope it's not, because the, the local church can do pretty horrible things. Pretty horrible things. And if that's you, first of all, I just want to say, I'm really sorry. I mean, I'm not aware of anything that's been that terrible in the life of St. Stephen's, but if that is the case, whether it's here or it's in another church, and that's the reason why you could never see yourself Loving this group of people like that, first of all, I want to say you're sorry. And I, I do understand, I mean, I, I empathise with you. I empathise with you. But I guess the reason Paul loves the Thessalonians is not just because they're nice to him. It actually has nothing primarily to do with them and everything to do with God. Because look at what he says in the third paragraph, further down in chapter 3. I've just extracted two verses here, verse 9 and verse 13. But he says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have? He's encouraged. Timothy comes back and says, they're going well. He says, how can we thank God for you? And then he goes on and he says, may he strengthen your hearts. That's God strengthening your hearts. See, Paul's great conviction actually is that God is committed to his church. He's committed to the Thessalonians. The reason they're going well, Paul actually is a bit anxious, you'll notice, if you've got the passage in front of you. He's a bit anxious in the verses just before this uh, about the state of the Thessalonian church, but he shouldn't be, he realises. Why? Because God 
is committed to the Thessalonians. He is committed to this. And actually, then he goes on a little bit further. He says, he says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He pushes the story forward and he says, you know, actually, remember I said to you, the Bible is actually this great story and we've kind of talked about gathering here, but right at the end is this picture of God's people all gathered together, beautiful, diverse, a large, a great multitude, but it says it's the coronation of Jesus, right? It's the coronation of Jesus. And he says at that coronation, Jesus will come with all his holy ones. He says at his great moment, Jesus is entitled to say, hey, you guys step back. This is my moment. But he actually says, no, no, you come with me. I am bound to you. I am inextricably bound to you. Where I go, you go with me. The glory I receive, you receive it too. And the reason is that God, you see, calls you to love his church. The reason is because he loves his church. He loves St. Stephen's. He treasures St. Stephen's. He says St. Stephen's is the dearest place on earth. Spurgeon goes on to say, nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Now, again, you're saying to me, really? But think, think on this. What is it that establishes the church? What is it that beautifies the church? What is it that broadens the church? What is it that deepens the church? What is it that strengthens the church? But the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The church is the product of God's great sacrifice and the depth of his love for his people gathered, you and I, in this building, is shown in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that means actually that God loves his church more than you or I ever will. He loves this church more than you and I ever will. And actually, so to get a glimpse of the beauty of the church, to love his church the way he wants you to, you actually just need to first see his love for his church. See, what makes St. Stephen's worthwhile, valuable, to be treasured and dear in your heart is not what we can do for you. It is not how long you have been here. It is not even the beautiful people you have come to know and meet in your time here as great and encouraging as they are. What makes it beautiful is that Christ chose to die for the people that we are with here this morning. Such is our value in his eyes. As we start this month, let's, let's keep that mindset for God's church. God loves the people of St. Stephen's more than anyone else. Let me pray. Kind Heavenly Father, we're sorry that we do not love your people here the way you love them. We're sorry that we, we marginalise them, that we use them, that perhaps even we have abused them at times, that we have not treasured them 
and kept them close and dear to our hearts. Father, we thank you that you can never be accused of that. That you love your people here at St. Stephen's to the point of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you fill our hearts with the truth that Christ has died for his people and by faith would you give us eyes for your people with this in mind? Would you help us to love your church, this church, here in Willoughby? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.